This is a Music Therapy Chronicles podcast episode with Andrea Dalton. We all have the ability to be a leader. Um, it may not be your job title, it may not be your like official role in an organization, but we're all leaders in some way. And the way that I think we can most effectively start doing that is to just do the work ourselves internally. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like the music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Kayati. I'm your weekly host and a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and consider leaving us a rating and review. We really appreciate them. You can find more podcast episodes, links to our pod courses, the self-care community, links to all of our social media, and get on our monthly newsletter all at musictherapychronicles.com. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. And you can always reach me by sending an email to hello at musictherapychronicles.com. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time over here in this little corner of the internet today with me and Andrea. Today's episode is a really deep philosophical one. We talk about systems changes, trauma-informed care, the impact of creativity on our professional lives and also society in general, and how our professional trajectories sometimes are not what we anticipate or might even seem like, how did I get here? But it all falls together and makes sense at some point. All, all of the different aspects of what we do coming together to lead us to where we're supposed to be to do our best work and make our biggest impact. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy today's episode with Andrea. It was um, a wonderful one to have, and I'm sure that the two of us could have talked for a much longer time, and maybe someday we will. If you're not already following Music Therapy Chronicles online, and if you're not subscribed to the show, please take a second to do that. I really appreciate your support, and also it'll ensure that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also hop on our newsletter at musictherapychronicles.com um, to get direct access to you know whatever I'm putting out. Sometimes social media with the algorithms can feel like such a fight to get stuff out to you guys so you can actually see it. So the podcast and the newsletter are the best ways to um, stay up to date and know what's actually going on over here at the Music Therapy Chronicles. All right, 
So let's get into this conversation with Andrea. All right, Andrea, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing today? You know, it's a, it's an interesting time in life <laughs> and in the world. So yeah, I'm, I'm managing. Yeah. I, I feel like we're all kind of at that managing place. I don't know if, um, if you feel this way, but I feel like, uh, the pandemic stress is starting to like settle in my body and in my life. And I'm finally starting to process all that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's something that you're experiencing too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Actually, now that you say it, um, I think, I think it is, that is part of what's happening. I'm yeah. noticing that too. And just lots of people as I'm talking with folks in different areas. Yeah. There's a lot of like, as we're kind of coming out of mm. that two years, two and a half years of not really knowing what we were doing or where we were going or how we were yeah. going about it. And then now it's like, okay, things are kind of opening back up and we're supposed to maybe be back to yeah. normal, like whatever normal is, but yeah, but we're just not there any, but we're just, we're not at the same place that we were before. So yeah. And that's okay. Little, yeah. It's okay. It's a little unsettling, but it's okay. Yeah. We're, we're, so, we're managing. No pun it's intended. a beautiful opportunity. I find myself saying that a lot lately. Like this is a beautiful opportunity. <laughs> We're going to learn something new, hopefully in a good way. Like we'll learn together and yes. grow together. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I can tell this is going to be a really good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to start us off, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? It can be related to music therapy. It could just be about you as a person, whatever sure. you want to share. Yeah. Well, uh, I live in the Kansas city area and have been here since I came to graduate school for music therapy at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Um, I graduated with a master's degree there in 2004 and loved Kansas City, happened to meet my husband while I was here in grad school. And so even though I left for six months to do my internship in Pennsylvania, I came back to Kansas City after that and mm -hmm. uh, have just loved it here, uh, found it to be uh, a really great community of people just in general, uh, yeah. but also in terms of like the music therapy community, we have quite a few music therapists that live in this area. And so uh, for quite a while, I was uh, really actively involved with the Kansas City Metro music therapists actually kind of helped with the rebuilding of that organization mm -hmm. in the kind of early 2000s and um, was president for several years and um, have just enjoyed hearing all of the amazing things that people do in our area, uh, you know, finding new contracts and new full-time employment in lots of different places here. So, um, yeah, but I, I am married now. I, my husband does remodeling and water damage restoration in the Kansas city area. Ooh. And it's always interesting to, because we have, you know, totally different perspectives on life. Um, mm to have conversations with him. He fortunately loves to have deep conversations as do I. So <laughs> this is why we've been married now for 15 years. We just celebrated right. our, our 15th anniversary a couple weeks ago. Thank you. Thank you. And we have two children. Um, they're eight and 11 and, um, a boy and a girl. They're, they're super fun and interested in lots of varied things. Um, 
my my daughter wants to at this moment she's 11 she wants to move to india and i think fight cyber crime i think is where she's headed now she says maybe work for the cia um cool I, yeah i have I have no idea how to go about that, but I'm happy to support her in that in that realm. And then my son will probably, you know, when he grows up, he'll he'll buy the house next door to us and uh, hopefully give me lots of grandchildren. That's what I'm looking <laughs> for. <laughs> but that's a long time from now. He's only eight. So um, and we uh, we do a lot of things just uh, together as a family. We like to just kind of hang out in nature Um mm doing, we have a great backyard. So we spend a lot of time doing stuff in our yard. And, um, and then professionally, I currently am working, uh, not in clinical music therapy at the moment. I do trauma informed care consulting and training. I'm based out of a hospital system in Kansas city called university health. And we have a department called the center for trauma informed innovation. And we mm -hmm. formed that in 2017. Uh, I had I had previously been working mostly in inpatient psych as a music therapist and along the way had gotten interested in trauma-informed care and found that uh, I thought it could be hugely transformational for <laughs> some of the systems that I mm. was observing. I worked in the state hospital system actually at the time yeah. and I thought it was going to like change everything about the way we did things. And um, we had like you know, two full days of training on trauma-informed care. This is the mid-2000s. And I, I I, really did think, like, after this training, we're going to, like, everything's going to change. We're going to be doing so much better for our patients. But then it was training and there was no follow-through. Yeah. For mo and then that happens in a lot of places. So, um, you know, experiences like that, I think, have really contributed to what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also just had a great department there, uh, working with another music therapist and an art therapist. And we just nice. kind of did things on our own that were more trauma-informed. You know, we found opportunities to embed that in our work. And um, and then I had an opportunity to come and work at the hospital system that I'm working at now, which had been very instrumental in developing the Missouri model of trauma-informed mm -hmm. care. Um, and that was very intriguing to me. And an opportunity came up to be a music therapist or one of the music therapists on the inpatient behavioral health unit there. So I took that position. It was really great timing for me because I had gotten ridiculously burnt out, mm -hmm. um, lots of secondary trauma and compassion fatigue. And I didn't have words to describe what was what I was experiencing um, yeah. because no one had talked about it with me. Like it wasn't it wasn't part of our kind of, it wasn't part of our education. It wasn't even really part of our collective dialogue around how hard it is to be yeah. uh, any kind of caregiver in a system like mental health care, or for that matter, education or healthcare or social services, you know, all of these sectors that we work in as music mm -hmm. therapists. Um, but then I also started to see parallels in other areas of my life too. Like in things I was doing with my church and in my community and just in our families also. And so all of these things were, you know, very interesting to me <laughs> as an observer of life. I yeah. uh, just kind of noted like where these similarities are. And um, after I had been on the inpatient behavioral health unit as the music therapist for about a year, an opportunity opened up for uh, a job called special projects coordinator, which, you know, 
I joked, actually, I had the opportunity to sit with our CEO yesterday and I joked with him about it. And he was like, yeah, I think your job description was probably pretty much other duties as a sign. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. I really didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we were, uh, there were two of us, we were essentially creating or trying to create a more trauma-informed culture mm. on that inpatient behavioral health unit. And it was kind of remarkable at the time that we had people who were like dedicated to doing that. That was sort of a new yeah. thing. And we just had an amazing synergy, my my colleague and I, Roxanne. Um, and, and through that work on the inpatient unit, uh, we developed, for instance, some trainings around compassion fatigue and burnout and secondary mm. trauma because we saw it happening with our colleagues there as well. And I, you know, coming from my own experiences and she had a lot of experiences that were similar too. And we thought like, there, we have to do something. And this feels yeah. really good to, you know, go that route in terms of how we can be more trauma-informed. Because if we're, if we're taking care of our staff and we're addressing those needs in our staff, they're going to be able to be so much better for our patients. Um, so we started doing that. And then people started hearing about what we were doing. And we're in, they were inviting us to come and do training. You know, that that's yeah. where it always starts. Like, come and do a training. And I, while I like doing training, I would always feel like, okay, but this feels like I'm just doing the same thing that I experienced years ago, which was like, we hear information and we're like, yeah, this is really yeah. great. And then we just go back to the way we were always doing things. Totally. So um, because we were getting some, you know, outside recognition, I guess. Uh, there there were also some other things going on in other areas of our behavioral health division, uh, some work with schools and being more trauma-informed and that sort of thing. So someone very uh, brilliantly thought, like, let's bring these folks together. Let's create mm. the Center for Trauma-Informed Innovation. So that launched, like I said, in 2017. And uh, we now have the opportunity to really uh, kind of create our own way of doing things. So there's lots of people who are doing trauma-informed consultation around. Uh, we think what we're doing is more unique because we are looking more at the systems change. Um, we are really prioritizing things like staff well-being, mm -hmm. uh, as well as, you know, day-to-day -day practices that are more trauma-informed as we're working with those we provide care for. And then also policies and practices and organizational culture and uh, even in a bigger system that might have a lot of issues or might actually be traumatizing or re-traumatizing both mm -hmm. for the service users and for the staff as those organizations that are part of the system like how can we support them in doing something better for their staff yeah. and then also support them in doing some of that advocacy work to try to change those systems that are uh, really not helpful uh, some of the time Yeah, with good intention, you know, like no, yeah. no blame to anybody, but you know, we have systems built on lots of history um, mm. and, and diverse history that includes really wanting to help people and also really wanting to make sure that people were excluded. Yeah. So, you know, in, in that continuum, uh, I think we find that there are, there's a lot of uh, in trying to sort of write that uh, yeah. to make it better 
for people. So we kind of joke that our goal, and I say this personally for myself too, uh, my goal is world peace. Like that's what I'm after. I really, <laughs> and I think trauma-informed care can get us there. Uh, yeah. I don't, I realistically, I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. And um, anyway, so that's, you know, where I've kind of come from and get to do exciting work now. I think it's exciting. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult. And I, I'm right now. So at the beginning, you know, I said like, I'm managing it's because I feel like several of my contracts right now, the people I'm working with, like, there's just all of a sudden all this tension and turmoil in the organizations. Yeah. And, and I do wonder sometimes like how much of that is sort of a post pandemic kind of reaction. Um, how much of that is just our general societal kind of tension, unrest, dis-ease? Mm. Uh, how much of that is our um, our personal, uh, like, I, I don't know if I want to say rebellion, but to me, it's rebellion <laughs> against those systems that have kept people mm. excluded for so long. And, you know, I think we're, we, we have grown a generation of people who are really aware of that now. Um, you know, I'm in my forties, early forties. And, uh, I guess technically I'm a Gen Xer. Some people would put me in the millennial category. I'm like right on the border. Yeah. Um, whatever you choose. (laughs) I know. I really, I think I identify a little more with Gen X sometimes, but Mm. I don't know. I'm pretty good with technology, which I don't know. I don't know. It's somewhere anyway. Um, but I just noticed kind of the differences in like my parents' generation. Yeah. Um, and then compared to like folks I've worked with now who are younger than me and just where values are um, or, or not necessarily what the values are, but because I think the values tend to be pretty much the same, but it's the way in which we honor those values, I think. And yeah. also the uh, I, there's something about the perspective of like, who are we here for? Um, and I really feel like there's this growing need to push back against the kind of individualization that we've had, especially in the U S uh, and, and moving more toward like a collective, you know, uh, support for all people, you know, bring, bring everybody in. Right. Um, let's not leave anybody out. So yeah, yeah, that was a really long who I am, but I love it (laughs) because I like, there's so much to go with that. And I feel like I got a really good look at like, what's how your brain works. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's a a scary place in there. (laughs) No, no, I love it. I'm so there's this, I reference social media a lot on the show just because I think it's accessible mm-hmm. for most people. But there, there was this audio going around on Reels about, um, I'm going to say our generation. I am a millennial. So mm-hmm. be a millennial with me for like 30 okay. seconds. <laughs> I can do it. I'm right on the edge. <laughs> our our generation doesn't have like a world war, a great depression, a like big, okay, we had the pandemic, but our big war as a generation is a spiritual war Mm. where we are addressing all of these things where we've said like, okay, the generations before us did X, Y, Z. They went through that. 
we don't want to do those things again. And in order not to repeat that cycle, we need to look at these bigger issues and trauma-informed care is a wonderful example of that because then we are not perpetuating um, Mm -hmm. these cycles, these systems that have created the environment for toxicity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that context of it being really a a spiritual because it really is about like values. What are your values? Who are we? Yeah. What are our values? How do we fit together? Mm -hmm. Um, Community. What do you bigger than the one? It's bigger than myself. Uh, Yeah. I really love that context. It it makes me think of. um, Okay. Well, full disclosure. um, On Strengths Finder, have you ever done Strengths Finder? I've heard of it. I don't heard of it. Done it myself. So. Another little point about me, my top strength on StrengthsFinder is input. So if any listeners are familiar um, with StrengthsFinder, you might understand that, but I'll explain just briefly that the input strength is one of like constantly collecting information from Mm -hmm. all these different places. Like I, so I'm, I'm a reader. I love to read. Uh, I love to consume information in whatever way I can get it. Um, And and then really the input strength is like storing that for such a time that you can bring it out and share it with somebody yeah. <laughs> and, put an input into the conversation. So, um, I, my friends and family and colleagues often, often laugh to themselves when, because I start so many conversations or so many statements with, so I read this book or <laughs> let me tell I'm you about this thing. That's I heard. one of my strengths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it makes me think of a book uh, that I read called Who Do We Choose to Be by okay. Margaret Wheatley. Meg Wheatley is a leadership consultant person. She's been around a long time, written a bunch of books uh, on leadership. And uh, and now she's really, uh, as she's, um, I don't know, she might be retired now. I don't know. Um, but uh, she, her this, this book is sort of a diversion from what she has previously written, but it's all about like, who do we, I mean, the title, who do we choose to be during these times of disruption? And especially because we are headed for society's collapse. Oh, we were joking about that a little earlier, but, um, but we need it to collapse so we can do better. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so in the midst of that collapse, which is inevitable and predictable based on history, like mm-hmm. we were kind of hitting a lot of those markers um, and headed in that direction. And it's going to be so important for those of us who are paying attention to think about like, how do we maintain our own sanity? first of all, through that. And how then do we support others? How do we become, she talks about becoming like an island of, she, she says an island of sanity, you know, as a mental health worker, I'm, I'm always like a little leery of yeah. using that sort of term, but, uh, but, but I think the point is, you know, how do we create these, uh, these spaces where we can prioritize wellness and health mm-hmm. of each other as we are working on this really difficult process of a a system falling apart and then rebuilding it Um, because it is going to take immense leadership and, uh, and a lot of creativity. And this is why I think like music therapists are so important to the world, right? Yes. Uh, Because we do bring together all of those things. We bring together the creativity and leadership and, 
uh, kind of that science mindset as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and I think those those skills and that expertise is going to, I mean, I've already found people often are like, how did you get into doing this kind of work being a music therapist? And I'm like, well, it makes total sense to me. Yes. Because it builds on everything that I've absorbed from all the people I've ever worked with, um, all the patients I've served, all the systems that I've observed and, um, and, and just noting like, where are the needs? Where are the, and where are the, the pieces of, of good, of joy? Um, and I think that's another thing that as we move through this kind of disruptive time, uh, recognizing that, yes, some days suck. <laughs> some days, yeah. some years suck. Um, and yet we also, in the midst of all of that, have these moments of beauty and joy And I mean, I mentioned like my backyard before that is my place. Like I go outside, I have this tree. It's an Osage orange tree. It's huge. It's old. Um, I mean, the hedge apples on it are kind of annoying at this time of year because I got to go pick them all up off the yard. Um, But there is something kind of meditative and peaceful about that too. (laughs) But I love to just go out there and just with my eyes, like, uh, you know, trace the the branches and just note the leaves. And it's such an interesting tree because it's real bendy and the branches are, uh, you know, kind of all in different directions and it's, and it's huge. So it takes some time to do that. And then I have a, a little koi pond. And so I like to go out and just, um, I mean, I watch the fish some, but one of my kind of meditative things is like cleaning that pond. Like it has to be cleaned regularly mm-hmm. and uh, just that maintenance of, of those things that bring me joy too. Uh, so it's interesting how that kind of connects, like things that bring you joy, but then also maintaining the things that bring me joy, bring me joy. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there is something I think cathartic about that. Um, totally. And I even it- when you have control of nothing else, you, you might have control of, I can, I can control my pond more yeah. or less. Yeah. I mean, I can't control it. Like I had terrible algae, uh, situation for a little while this fall, but, um, yeah. even that I think is a, it's a, 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 a beautiful opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think it was my episode with Jason Campbell, um, who is a musician and like, a he, he is, he's this interesting, like Chinese medicine, holistic, mm. uh, wellness mindset. But, um, he was mentioning how, when we look at nature, our brain is calm. Mm -hmm. And when we look at like a city skyline, our brain is chaotic. And the paradox there is nature looks chaotic and the city skyline is straight lines and boxes. It's very uh, regimented. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, like our brain looks at nature, looks at the branches on the trees, looks at the fish and the ripples in the water, looks at the chaos Mm -hmm. and we are calm. Mm -hmm. So just like you're saying, finding those types of things in your life, um, that are going to keep you quote sane. Right. Um, you know, maybe the Island of safety is what came to my mind. Yeah. Keeping you, you know, mentally, emotionally safe while the chaos is happening in the regiment, the regiment of the city, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wondered if that, if part of that is okay. 
we'll start philosophizing a little here, but um, I wonder if part of that is, I, I mean, when you look at like our bodies and our brains, like there's nothing, there's no straight lines. Mm-mm. We don't have straight lines. No, not, ev- not anywhere. I don't think I, I can't think of, <laughs> I can't think of anything. Nope. Um, and so there's probably something very resonant mm. uh, when we look at nature that sort of mirrors ourselves uh, in that sort of complexity. Yeah. Um, and then there's the aspect of like how we as human beings are like constantly trying to be in control and yep. <laughs> yeah. And like thinking about the skyline and, you know, the, the order, the straight lines, the, you know, it's very boxy oftentimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we try to put things in boxes uh, to understand it maybe. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know that it ever actually clearly helps us understand things no. better. <laughs> Sometimes it's no. better to sort of live in that place of chaos and complexity. Um, yeah. and, and it's really about, I think, accepting that, right? Like accepting yeah. that that is, that is, um, and, and we are part of it. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool to think about. Yeah, I for people listening and for you later, I will link the his episodes uh, in the show notes. But he has lots of amazing resources, and I he probably referenced like some scientific study that had that, but I don't remember mm-hmm. what it's called. <laughs> yeah, well, I would love to read it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna my circle input. back. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying my input strength. Like I'm like, yeah, Ooh, a, a study. Let me read it. <laughs> I I've. Th- hearing you talk about it made me think, oh, that's me. That's me. I should do that to see if that's a top strength. Or it is interesting. It yeah. Is. Uh, you mentioned how like music therapy got you to where you're at and the importance of creativity and what we're doing. And this is another like big systemic thing we've seen where we have a generation of people who didn't necessarily have access to art, music, dance, mm. theater, the creative aspects of, you know, school, childhood, growing up. And so they are now adults who never learned how to problem solve because yeah. they were never given the space to be creative. And here we are with all these problems Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're we need creative solutions for um and that's why people like you music therapists creative people are coming to the forefront and saying like hey did you you know are you thinking about it this way here's another perspective here's a problem solving solution and mm-hmm. so we as clinicians have the opportunity to reinfuse that i work primarily in schools so like mm-hmm. giving the space for my students to be creative and saying like you know, within the bounds of safety, like you, you can't do this wrong. There's no wrong notes. Like, what do you need to do to express? Um, but also to just take a risk and try something and see if it works or if it doesn't so that they can grow up and solve all the problems that um, we don't get to in our lifetime. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. And I, as you were talking about that, it makes me think too, about how we, uh, we, the big, we, you know, collectively yeah. have tried so hard, um, with technology to, you know, streamline problem solving, Um, you know, create solutions or, you know, artificial intelligence to, um, you know, solve our, solve our problems. And it's just stripped away our humanity. Mm -hmm. And the event I was at last night where I was sitting with our CEO, I, I also, it was a 
a conservatory event for the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the chancellor was there. And he, uh, the chancellor of UMKC is an engineer by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he said a few words before the concert. And he was talking about how as an engineer, you know, he his work has been around like trying to solve problems, trying to make the world easier for people, um, you know, streamlining things, that sort of thing. And he, he mentioned, uh, but the arts is what makes us human. Mm. And I, and I totally agree. Like that's something that we have kind of, again, collectively, I think there are many of us individually who still really prioritize and value that, but, um, we've lost sight of that a lot. I mean, the arts are like the first thing to go when, when schools and uh, communities are looking at their budgets, like it yeah. feels extra, um, yeah. but it's not extra. It's essential. It is part of who we are, uh, whether we're trained in some sort of art, arts medium or not, we, we are all as humans creative mm-hmm. and have that capacity within us. And we downplay it so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was interesting too. that same event. I was, um, I was being honored as a, as a distinguished alum for my work, but it was kind of, I felt a little awkward. I'll admit because mm. I'm a music therapist and I was with all these other, it's the conservatory of music. I was with all these other, uh, alumni who have done like these amazing things, like, um, you know, brilliant performers, conductors, uh, uh, even like costume designers and one of them, um, well, I, and they were all great. I mean, we had, I had the best time like just hanging out with them, but I, I had that, I don't get imposter syndrome very often, but I had that in this group of people because I felt like, do they know, like, do they really know that I'm not, <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't won an Emmy or <laughs> like, yeah. uh, all of these other incredible Grammys, like any of these other incredible things that people have done. Um, but one of the, one of them came up to me, we had a little rehearsal the night before. And then, uh, yesterday was the actual event. So after, uh, we were, we were gathering last night for like the, uh, introduction of all of us. And one of them came up to me and he said, I was thinking about you last night. And I was like, okay, thanks. I know he's a conductor of, um, a couple of groups in the Kansas city area that are, are pretty prestigious. And, uh, you know, I, he's a great guy, but I felt a little intimidated by him before I knew him, you know, the day before. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he came up and he said, I was thinking about you last night. I was like, I hope it was good. Like, <laughs> okay. What were you thinking? But he said, uh, I was just reflecting on this, this group of people. And he said, all, all of the rest of us, what we do is it's so external, like it's producing something for other people, for a bigger mm-hmm. audience, for a, you know, and he said, and, and of course there's incredible value in that. He said, but what you do in music therapy, it's, it's internal. It's like taking, um, it, it's going back to like the heart of, mm. of people or the root or the, you know, I, I, we could probably elaborate here, like the soul or, you know, the, yeah, you know, just the the inward processes that we have, and and then also that connection then with the outward. And anyway, I was like, 
that's really cool. Like, it's cool that he acknowledged that. He said, what you do is so incredible. He said, none of the rest of us could do that. Yeah. Um, where our perspective is totally different. Um, wow. And and so he thanked me. <laughs> He's, and I said, well, I'll accept the thanks, like on behalf of all the people who, you know, have built this field um, yeah. before I was ever around. Um, and, uh, and those who are continuing to do the, the work. Um, though I should say, I, I am still doing some stuff with music therapy. I, I didn't say that in my introduction, but I you do can. provide, I do provide clinical music therapy supervision. Uh, I'm a faculty supervisor for Roman music therapy in Wakefield, Massachusetts through the magic of zoom. You know, we can mm. do that sort of thing now mm-hmm. <laughs> very easily. Um, and, and then I also serve on the board of directors for AMTA at the moment and um, try to try to keep my connections with music therapists strong. Um, yeah. Because so, it is an important part of who I am. I mean, it is part of my identity. Just because I'm not practicing doesn't mean I'm not a music therapist. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think that's important for people to hear because there are so many people who take um, time away from the profession or have to like macgyver some mm-hmm. type of caseload or um you know i don't know that i'm going to assume that every person listening to this doesn't do quote music therapy for 40 hours a week every week right <laughs> and that's okay or it might not look like clinical time mm-hmm. um or documentation and all the other stuff that comes with it but there's other things that that we have to do and it can feel um uncomfortable any other word you want to put there to be like I'm a music therapist and I also have to do or I get to do depending all these other things that aren't music therapy Mm -hmm. yeah that can be uncomfortable to sit with yeah definitely I I did have sort of an identity crisis yeah when I took that position away from doing clinical work and and doing the trauma-informed care work on the unit because I was like I I mean I really had to sit with that for a while like I Mm -hmm. I felt like I was I felt like I was giving up <laughs> like a, yeah. a a part of myself. And I felt like I, you know, I have, I care so deeply about all the patients that I've ever worked with. And, um, it, and, you know, I, I, I really valued like my preparation in, you know, whatever's, whatever, uh, interventions or service or support or care I would give to future patients also. And so like, I felt like I was, I was letting people down. I mean, I wasn't, I, I wasn't literally letting anybody down. I don't think, um, I don't think my parents were even like, oh my gosh, she paid all that money for a master's degree. No, it's, you know, I don't think that that, that factored into anybody else's thought process except my own. Mm. Um, but it was a, a bit of an identity crisis. And the way that I sort of navigated that was I, and I'm so grateful to the supervisor I had at that time um, because he, he was my supervisor for both of those positions. Mm. He was my supervisor as the music therapist. He was the one who hired me there. And he was the one who said, we have this position open and I think you might really be interested in it. And like, think about it, (laughs) no pressure, but think about it. And he also was the one who encouraged me to think about, uh, and he even did this in the interview for that job 
And I'm, I'm again, so grateful for it. I cried in that interview, by the way, um, because it's a good one. It was, yeah. Well, I mean, it was just that you, you have those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, this is where it's all coming together. Mm, Um, Yeah. Because what he encouraged me to think about was what are the values that I have? Mm -hmm. What are the skills that I've developed? Um, What are the experiences that I've had? And what do I aspire to do? And Mm -hmm. he said, like, you know, take like, take the specifics of what a job might be like away from that. And just think about like who you are. And that was, I'm actually getting a little emotional thinking about that again. (laughs) It was many years ago now, but, um, and so I did, I sat and I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I, um, did lots of just, I, I, I mean, I guess I would call it meditation and prayer and, um, really thought through like, who, who am I? (laughs) What are Mm -hmm. those values? Uh, what are those skills I have? What, um, and what do I aspire to do with my life? Um, and remarkably both of those positions fit, fit those things. Like I, and I had grown into a place where I could see a broader application of all of those things that I had developed and Mm. learned, acquired, you know, embodied, um, and, and moving into doing something that would have a, like a, a, a broader impact maybe. Um, I mean, I always, well, not always. I often felt like I was having an impact with my patients. Maybe not always. Yeah. I, I <laughs> um, <that>. yeah. But <laughs> um, often, like on the whole, felt like I was I was a good music therapist. I did good work. Um, I, I felt successful in that role. Um, but having that opportunity to think about how do I take those same values and skills and goals and apply that to just a much bigger thing and impact more lives. Yeah. Um, in a, in a really positive way and try to change some of the things that I had been so frustrated with as, as a cog in the wheel of the, of the mental health system, um, Mm. where sometimes I did feel like, am I just contributing to this like awful system by being part of this. And uh, again, no shame to the people I was working with because it it, it is a system like it's out of uh, it's so much, so much bigger than any one of us. Um, And sometimes we have to just, I mean, in the service of others, we, we do just keep doing something because doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, anyway, so that was sort of what helped me kind of get through that identity crisis, but there were a lot of tears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was a, there was a lot of, uh, just trusting that I was doing the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and then someone reminded me too, at some point, I don't even remember who it was now. They said, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always get another job as a music therapist. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Those are skills that are going to be there. I can fall back on them. Right. I can still go back and do that if I, if I really don't like it or if it really doesn't fit. Totally. But I'm so glad that I did. It was exact. I mean, for me, it was exactly what I needed to do at that time. So. Yeah. Oh, how beautiful that that all came together. And you had that moment where you were like, oh, like this is the culmination of all the things that I've been building. And like, this is where it all comes together. So for someone who is currently a cog in the wheel per Mm -hmm. se, and doesn't have the opportunity to become a leader in systems development, Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have for them? You know, if they're like going to these trainings, the information is not being applied. What do you have? advice to say? That's yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that we all, we all have the ability to be a leader. Um, it may not be your job title, may not be your like official role in an organization, but we're all leaders in some way. And the way that I think we can most effectively start doing that is to just do the work ourselves internally. Um, You know, start by thinking about like, how do we create that island of safety Mm. around, around ourselves? Uh, What are the things we do to prioritize our values? How do we individually, when it's safe to do so, speak up uh, when those values are being violated? Um, or when we see harm happening to mm. others, um, it's not always it's not always safe for us to do that. So, you know, I think that does take um, take some insight and some uh, pausing, probably. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's I. I think that often is the first thing. Um, just pause. Just sit with what you're experiencing and pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, we go through life so, so fast. There's so much happening all the time. And I know like, especially when you're a cog in the, a cog in the machine, right. Um, there's so much to do all the time and it becomes kind of redundant and mundane sometimes and can be really, um, overwhelming and, uh, and then we get busy with other things too. Like life is just, there's just so much happening all the time. Yeah. Um, but to just pause and notice like what's going on in your body, because I think a lot of times the more stressed and overwhelmed and tired we get, we just don't pay attention to what's happening. And our bodies give us so much information about how we are responding to things. So like doing those like body scan kind of meditations where you just take note. Uh, I, I often notice, um, Cause I'm not like perfect at this. (laughs) I'm not sure anybody is, but I will be the first to admit that I easily get overwhelmed and I have, well, I have yes disease is what I learned that from (laughs) Amber Weldon Stevens, music therapist in Georgia. She told me that a long time ago that she has yes disease. I was like, oh, I have that too. Um, you know, chronic volunteer. That's, that's me though. I, I joke that I'm in recovery. From it, I'm doing a lot better. Uh, Post pandemic, uh, took me a little while to readjust because, even though I I keep saying post pandemic, we're not done with it yet. But no. um, the uh, 
you know, when everything shut down, I was like, oh, look at all this time I have. Yes. Yes. But at the same time, I was so overwhelmed and stressed, even though like I had a bunch of time, but I had yeah. kids now at home doing virtual school while yes. I was trying to work and I was getting nothing done. Yeah. Um, or at least I felt like I was getting nothing done. I, I started making a, instead of a to-do list every day, I just scrapped that. And I, uh, at the end of the day, I started making a ta-da list. Like, look what I did. Yes. <laughs> even if it was Love kids that. got lunch. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They completed their assignments and I answered five emails, you know, mm -hmm. um, like let's celebrate that. And that was one thing that got me through, but, um, where I was going with that was, uh, the, the, um, it, as things started opening back up, I was like, Oh yeah, I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that. So yeah. So I was back to like where I was <laughs> and yeah. suddenly one day I was like, why am I so tired and overwhelmed? It's <laughs> And, and I looked at my calendar and I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah. So yeah. I had to start trying to, it's been difficult. There's, you know, a lot happening. Um, AMTA has been really busy with our yeah. restructuring and the, the needs that we have in that organization right now. Uh, so that's taken a lot of, uh, a lot of time. And so in the midst of all of that, you know, it's been really hard for me to practice that pause and mm. to. And to just say like, okay, how, how, how am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So I've been intentionally trying to do that a little bit more. So that, that's another thing I would say just as advice in, you know, leading where you are, um, it's, it's practicing those things. It's just, uh, showing up and being as trauma informed as you can be, mm -hmm. um, for yourself, uh, and then for those that you're directly in contact with. And, you know, think about that too, not just in your work, but in all the areas of your life, because, you know, being trauma-informed, um, creating that island of safety, that doesn't have to exist just in our work. In fact, I don't, I would argue we're probably not really doing it if we're not mm -hmm. doing it everywhere. Um, yeah. Because I think it really does become just a part of who you are and how you relate to other people to other people, but also how you relate to yourself. And yeah. so, you know, really starting there, that's an important relationship, right? The one you have with yourself. Um, and when that is stronger, I think that it does grant us a little bit more space for seeing opportunities, um, you know, that maybe are, are different than what we thought when we got into the field, got into the job. Um, and you may not be able to change the job you're in because we all got to be paid, right? We got bills to pay. Um, but maybe there are, you know, different opportunities, you know, tweaking things a bit somewhere or uh, looking at, you know, where do you dedicate your time and energy outside of that work? Mm -hmm. Like, are you doing things that that fill you up, that align with those values and skills that you have? Because um, that's protective against burnout, too. Yeah. you know, being aligned with your values in what you're doing. So that that's a long way to answer that question. <laughs> that would be my, my advice. I think. Yeah. I love that. It's reminding me, I recently had Melanie Weishart on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So I will link her episodes too. And she was talking about reflective practice, which I think something is something we, we do a lot as music therapists. It's 
kind of what you just mentioned, like being mm-hmm. self-aware and how that affects our practice. But one of the things she said that really hit home for me and I needed to hear, so in case anyone else needs to hear this, being aware of the people we work with who do not mm-hmm. partake in reflective practice yeah. and like how that I took, when I heard that, I was like, oh, so I can give myself grace now for knowing that this person who I work with is not doing reflective practice. And that's why we are constantly butting mm-hmm. heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, thinking from the trauma-informed perspective, like that's a that's a really important thing to note in people. Yes. Um, you know, we ask, we, in trauma-informed care, we, we talk about, you know, changing the question from what is wrong with them, mm. <laughs> which is what we default to, right? When we have those kinds of conflicts yes. and things what is wrong with them? Um, and shifting it into, I wonder what happened, or I wonder what their perspective is. I wonder where they're coming from. And we don't necessarily have to ask people that in order to, in order to have that perspective, but it's about being more objective and compassionate yeah, um, toward others and understanding that we are, we are all coming at whatever it is from a different place. Not everybody sees things the way I see them. Um, that that's always hard for me. I'm like, why can't you understand it? But uh, yeah, you know, I've, it's, I'm learning. I'm, I have learned, I am learning, uh, in that way. And, um, yeah, again, like being trauma informed, it's not just with our patients, our clients, our service users. It's also with our, our coworkers. Yeah. Um, and having that, like being able to just step back and have that little bit of grace. I think yeah. it, it helps calm our stress response. So then we don't jump into those situations with our hackles up and really often in some cases, maybe make the situation worse because yeah. we are, you know, because we feed off of that from each other then too, you know, human beings, we got interesting brains that like we, we respond to that in each other really, yeah. really naturally. Um, because it's a, it's about maintaining our safety uh, mm. ultimately. And, um, you know, if somebody else is coming at us with, uh, a lot of intensity, we're yeah. more likely to respond that way because we have to keep ourselves safe. We defend and, uh, yeah. that breaks down communication. It makes it really hard for us to come together. So, yeah, I like that. Uh, just thinking about they're, they're not they're not doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Being a cog in the wheel. So we've taken like a lot of very deep dives. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move into the rapid fire? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. It's been interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I feel like we could just keep going and going, but I want to be cognizant. I can talk for hours. (laughs) You got it. You have to come back on sometime. We'll pick we'll pick another topic. This podcast is sponsored by the Music Therapy Podcast Collective, also known as MTPC where you can find a variety of CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. 
all of MTPC's pod courses are built on a listen, learn, apply model, where you start by listening to some assigned podcast episodes, then move into learning with the assistance of a workbook filled with resources for you to start your self-study towards whatever topics are most interesting, inspiring, and applicable to your practice. And then we finish with the apply section, which includes an office hour and a worksheet to determine how you are going to apply your learning to your personal life or professional practice. You can find all the Music Therapy Chronicles pod courses on our website, musictherapychronicles.com, and you can find the entire catalog of pod courses at MTPC's website, mtpodcastcollective.com. Make sure you also get on the MTPC newsletter for 10% off your first pod course purchase. So these questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. They're all about you. All right. The first one is coffee or tea? Ugh. Hmm. So I love tea, but I got to have coffee first thing in the morning. Mm. But um, I love all the different varieties of tea. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about the ritual of tea, too, that I... I mean, not necessarily like the official, official is not the right word, but like the, the spiritual religious kind of ritual of tea in yeah. some cultures. But um, there is a, there is a ritual to like brewing the tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do, I do enjoy that quite a bit, but coffee yeah. first thing in the morning. Got to have that. Like a true American. <laughs> yeah. Early bird or night owl. I'm actually a bit of both. Um, no sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I think I stopped sleeping when I was about, well, probably when I had kids. So, you know, around early, mm-hmm. early thirties. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it depends on the season too. Uh, there, you know, summer I'm up early. I love, I love summer mornings, but in the winter I tend to be more of a night owl. I, yeah. I like to snuggle in the blanket in the living room, watch a movie, stay up real late. Everybody else in my house is long asleep and it's nice and quiet. Anyway, good feeling. Yeah. Very good feeling. Something you'd tell your younger self. Hmm. Boy, it's a tough one. Mm. Um, I think I would say, don't be, don't be so hung up on what you thought it would be like, (laughs) um, don't, don't, uh, well, and I, I think that's been challenged for me my whole life. So, uh, someone's been paying attention to that for me, uh, someone bigger than me. Um, Mm. but, uh, yeah, life, life, uh, life isn't always what you think it's going to be when you're. (laughs) 14, 15, 16 years old. I thought I was going to be a doctor who maybe played piano on the side. Um, yeah, it's basically what you're doing. I mean, right? it's basically what I'm doing. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think just don't get so hung up on those expectations and just embrace life for what it can be. Yeah. Nice. Your music therapy elevator speech. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good one. Music therapy changes lives. Um, we take, we take all of the elements of music and as the therapist, think about them in a more practical, specific way. And at the same time, hold on to the creativity that we have as humans mm -hmm. and we help people achieve what they'd like to achieve. Um, we help people grow and change or maintain or whatever, whatever the situation or, or, um, come to a conclusion, uh, whether that's a conclusion of life or conclusion of ideas or, um, and really, um, I think tying, tying back in with being human again and how we interrelate with each other through, through music, uh, and through relationship. Because yeah. uh, that's a really important piece around music therapy. I don't give a music therapy elevator speech very often anymore. So, well, as to say tricky. that last part, right? The, oh, yeah. that's the funny thing is people are like, "Oh no," <laughs> they get they get so uncomfortable. <laughs> but like interns and students, they have it ready because they you know have to practice it all the time, right? But I love the relational piece because that's the therapy part mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your favorite self care practice? My backyard. Yes. Um, going outside nature. Uh, and also I, I guess I have two. I also like to just sit down at the piano and play like for fun. Mm. Um, and I, I like to play things that are, uh, either improv. I, I'll just sit and play, uh, or, or I'll pull out like old sheet music books and stuff. Like currently on my piano is the Red Hot Chili Peppers' greatest hits. Ooh, yeah, the, the sheet music. Give it away now on piano is interesting. I, my my eleven year old daughter has been doing the rap for me, so perfect. <laughs> perfect. It's kind of fun. Yeah, oh, I love that. Um, something that's currently adding value to your life. Maybe it's the red hot chili peppers and my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that actually over the last, over the last few weeks has been something that's been, um, uh, pretty restorative for me and, yeah. uh, has reconnected me with, uh, I, I think fun and playfulness yeah. when I've needed that, uh, because there's a lot happening and I've felt very serious, uh, in many, many places, lots of meetings uh, that are very serious, uh, you know, both work and with AMTA. And so, um, having those times for fun, yeah. it's really important. Yeah. You have to let your brain relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make space for that creative problem solving and all those serious meetings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. All right. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session. So flip this however you want to what you're currently doing. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I would say I had, I had the opportunity. It's been, it's been a couple of years now, but, um, I, I did have the opportunity to do a little songwriting with a, a group of educators. Hmm. Um, they had engaged us for some consultation work and some training, uh, around self-care and, and staff well-being. And I was like, we're doing music. Uh, so, um, I think group, a little group songwriting. I love, I love group songwriting. Uh, it's always interesting. Um, but there's something really cool about people coming together around that creation of, of a, you know, of a concept and then, Mm. you know, pulling out really uh, inspiring lyrics and, you know, kind of pulling all of that together. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I love that when people are vulnerable and then they're seen by their peers and like they, they realize that they're experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Songwriting like that Mm -hmm. is very transformative. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. And I want to put a plug. The last question is where can listeners find you and connect with you? And I believe you are on a, like you have your own podcast too. Yeah. With some other co-hosts. So I would love to be able to mention that. Um, but you tell us how can people find you and connect with you? Sure. I think probably the, uh, a, a good way is LinkedIn. Um, I'm on, I'm on there. That's, that's great. Um, I'm using Facebook less and less these days. So that's probably not the best anymore though. Um, I, I do connect sometimes with people there. Um, and yes, we, I, I have a podcast with my colleagues in the Center for Trauma-Informed Innovation. We had received a grant, it, it's still ongoing, from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration for, uh, we are the um, Addiction Technology Transfer Center. That's one of the grants that SAMHSA provides. Uh, and that specific grant is to support um, substance use treatment and recovery uh, organizations. And as part of that work, we started a podcast called Trauma-Informed Caring. It is part of the Essential Conversations family of podcasts. So if you go to your favorite podcast platform, uh, it might be a little easier to find it searching for Essential Conversations. Uh, but Trauma-Informed Caring is, uh, I think, seasons two through four or five now. So um, we're going to have another season coming out fairly soon, early 2023. Yeah. Um, is what we're aiming for. So and yeah. Really and that episodes. Yeah. It's, it's really focused on like the practical implementation mm-hmm. of trauma informed care, but in like, um, our individual lives, uh, in leadership, uh, our next series is going to be centered on the connection between trauma informed care and diversity, equity, and inclusion, because uh, we really strongly believe that you can't do one without the other. Um, they're so they're so interlinked. So, 100%. Yeah. Lovely. All right. Thank you for making the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. There were so many wonderful, reflective questions to go through in here. Definitely some that 
I'm going to take some time to really sit on, especially when she was talking about the interview process where um, she was looking at her uh, her values and her skills and her experiences and what she aspires to do and how that all comes together. And that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to journaling through and meditating on because um, I'm kind of at that a point like that in, in life right now. We're just like, you know, pre-pandemic, we, you, you, me, I had a vision uh, for what was going on and what was going to happen with my life. And then pandemic happened and we were surviving through all of it. And now we're in this kind of in-between phase and it's time for me to take time to relook at where things are going and what I want to do and where my values sit now. And anyway, that's a big ramble to say. I'm definitely going to be looking at those questions. I hope that you will too. And if that's not the part of the episode that stuck with you, then I hope that whatever really resonated with you today helps you in your personal and professional life in the coming weeks and months. I think this was um, a great episode to revisit because there's a lot to chew on in here for sure. So thank you again for supporting the show, for making the time to listen to today's episode. Thank you to everyone who um, is on the newsletter and follows us online and is subscribed to the podcast. It's wonderful to see the numbers growing each week um, in our listenership, and I really appreciate it. Uh, You can always reach me at hello at musictherapychronicles.com. If you or someone you know wants to be on the show, you can send me an email there, or you can just reach out and say hi. I'd love to hear from you. That's it for this week, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a lot out of it. If you're looking for more Music Therapy Chronicles, you can check out our website, musictherapychronicles.com, for more episodes, blog posts, social media links, um, contact information, our self-care community, and our CMTE opportunities in the form of pod courses. Hop on our monthly newsletter if you haven't already, and follow us on social media for just staying up to date on what's going on behind the scenes. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. They really help the podcast be more visible so more people like you who are looking for this type of content can find it. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this week's episode, and I'll see you in the next one.